First of all, Happy New Year to you. How many are glad it's a new year? And uh, I think Chris already asked you how many stayed up for the new year. I, I read a quote. It says, an optimist stays up until midnight to see the new year in, and a pessimist stays up to make sure the old year leaves. And, and, and so how many are glad the year's over? That just, uh, yeah, some, yeah, grunts and growth. Yeah, well, there was, like every year, good things and challenging things that came out of the year. But I'm so grateful for some of the stuff that the Lord did last year. But I am really, really looking forward to a new start and fresh start and just anticipating and exciting what he's going to do ahead. Amen? Anybody with me on that? Kind of this time of year, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I get a little lackadaisical. Anybody in here? None of you. Well, I, I wrote it for me then, and I've prepared it for me. I'll preach it to myself again in this service, but it's it just called Wake Up. It's time to wake up. Anybody with me? And, and so some of you might even slept in a little bit. This is Jan and Gertruda Grzebski, and uh, Jan, that's his name. It, it, he, he fell asleep in 1988, and he woke up in 2007. He was in an accident. He was walking by the train tracks in Poland, and one of the doors was open on the train, hit him in the back of the head, and he was in a coma for 19 years. And his wife took care of him. He gives all the credit to his wife, and his prayer, he says, is sustain him. But he came out of this coma 19 years later. Can you imagine how things have changed in 19 years? He said when he went into the coma, Poland was still coming out of the whole Iron Curtain thing. Gasoline was rationed. Food was rationed. There was not much food on the shelves. When he came out of the coma, Poland had been transformed. He said the craziest thing was walking around watching people talking on cell phones that he'd never seen before. And, he, and his comment was this. He said, not only were they talking, but he said, all these people who walk around with their mobile phones and they never stop moaning. That was his thing as he woke up. But can you imagine that? Going to... Asleep in 19 years, waking up, and when he, when he went to sleep, he was the father of four. When he came out of his sleep 19 years later, he was the grandfather of 11. And uh, so some things had changed in his family through that. But I just don't want anybody in here to sleep through stuff God wants to do in your life or in his church or in the nation. We need to be awake. Nudge your neighbor, say, we got to wake up for what God's doing in this season. Here, Romans 13 says this, Romans 13, 11, and, and, and this is just part of it. It says, doing, do, this is amplified, do this knowing that, th that this is a critical time. It's already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep of spiritual complacency. For our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed in Christ. The night, this present evil age, is almost gone, and the day of Christ's return is almost here. So let us fling away, I like that word, fling away the works of darkness and put on the full armor of light. Amen? It's at a challenge and a charge, and it's multiple, multiple times in the Word where different writers, the apostle or the, the, uh, in the epistles and even the gospels, Jesus himself encourages us to be alert, to be awake at what's going on and what God's going to do. And some of us could sleep through anything. This, this gal here, her name is Winnie Withers from Indiana. She's 85 years old, but she woke up one morning and there was a car in her kitchen. And uh, she didn't even know how it got there. She, she slept through the whole night and got up in the morning. And you can see kind of the tracks that went through her hedge, came across her lawn, through her hedge, into the front of her house. And she woke up with a car in the kitchen. The guy was panicked. He ran away. It was kind of a hit and run thing. But she slept through the whole thing. And she's 85, so we'll give her a little grace for that. 
but, 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 but things that could happen in our lives and we just could be oblivious to them. There's things God wants to do. There's, there's sometimes he wants to shake us out of stuff. Shake us to wake up, to be alert what he's saying to us. Shake us up because it's time for some change or time for a fresh challenge or time for a fresh attitude, a new attitude. He, he's trying to get our attention and sometimes we're just like oblivious. I, I can be a daydreamer. My wife sometimes, Mike, Mike, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are you there? I, I can do that. I don't want to sleep to what the Lord wants to do in this season. How about you? I want to be awake and ready and alert. Anybody with me this morning? And so we're going to look at these, a few things because, you know, when, when Jesus said, I only do what I see my father doing, for you and me, we don't even have to invent stuff or come up with our own stuff. We just need to be aware and alert and say, what's the father doing? And I want to pray into that. What's the father doing? I need to be a part of that. What's he saying to the church? What, what's he saying in the nation? What's he speaking in the nation? What's he speaking in missions? Those kind of things I want to spend just a few minutes on. I think you'll be encouraged by some of them and challenged by some of them. What the Father is doing, we need to wake up to it because really his return is coming. His return is coming soon. And so we want to be ready for it. How many of you want to be ready? So this is what he says in Habakkuk. What's God doing in the world? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Habakkuk prophesies. He said, there's something God's going to do, and I believe we're in that season. You know, we look, we look in America, and we can look around and see some of the signs of just the churches struggling in general. There's a lot of distractions, and the church in America, some would argue, has is, is gotten weaker and distracted. This is what I believe is happening in the church in America. The, the strong are getting stronger, and those that are disinterested and really don't want anything to do with God, they're drifting away. But the light is getting lighter and is getting brighter, and, and we need to be part of that. But in the nations, God says, look what I'm going to do. You're not even going to believe it. This, these guys, Bill Stearns and his team, traveling team, they've been doing mission stuff, taking short-term missions and doing stuff really since the 1800s. This is he, what he reports. God is bringing millions and millions of men and women and children to himself from every people, from every tribe and tongue and nation. He's challenging churches to revive and evangelize and bless their own cultures. He's linking up global partnerships between cultures and established churches. And he is planting churches in every remaining unreached people group on earth. He's building his church globally and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. And, and what's happening, and, and I've seen it firsthand in some of my trips and, and some of the other missionaries I know, God is raising people up in diversity of gifts and releasing them. It's just not the classic missionary anymore. There's English teachers and water reclamation engineers and film ministries and relief ministries and import-export businesses. There's cultural exchange festivals like Keith Hershey's doing in Beirut. There's literally hundreds of other activities as well as the tried and true missions ministries of personal and open air evangelism, literature distribution, medical assistance, and radio ministries. They're all part of what God is doing in missions today. The hoppers are fairly new to our church, but this morning 
they're, they're on a mercy ship in, in Africa, I believe it's Senegal, and, and uh, he studied ophthalm, ophthalmology, and so today they're down there putting on glasses and doing evangelism through another arm of missions that God's doing all over the world. He's on the move, church. Tell your neighbor God's on the move. See, church leaders and missionaries worldwide need theological grounding and training in interpersonal ministry skills. The West's preoccupation with classroom academics is changing to more on-the-job training in ministry. In the Evangelical Theological Seminary of Indonesia, for example, students must complete academic requirements, plan at least one church, and introduce at least 15 Muslims to Jesus Christ in order to graduate from school. So it's not just going through a bunch of books. It's out there doing the gospel. Amen? The students of that school in the past six years alone have planted more than 600 churches and brought more than 40,000 Muslims to faith in Christ. God is on the move. And, and I met Brother Dana, and um, I forget Dana's last name, but he's a friend of Ron Smith out of ABC, and uh, we got together a few weeks ago. He's just doing simple Bible study in Indonesia now, and it started out super slow, just a couple converts over the course of a couple years, but within the last five years, they've seen 10,000 people come to Jesus, and because they're desperate after tsunamis and dis dis different, si different situations that have come, they're open to know the hope and the peace and the love that comes through Jesus Christ. Part two, schools are going mobile. The old procedure of pulling potential leaders out of their communities and cultures to get Western-style schooling at seminary is fast being replaced by the taking the teaching to the leaders in their own environments. The theological education, by extension, is successful worldwide. We've seen that in Cambodia. We've seen that in India. We're seeing that in Kenya. And biblical education, by extension, is working particularly well in the former Soviet Union. Technology is expanding, and it's not only used just for perverted uses or political uses. The kingdom of God is expanding because of good technology. The body of Christ is coming together as never before. The surge of unity isn't the old ecumenical mistake of joining together by dissolving all our doctrinal convictions and distinctive traditions. It's unity in diversity, maintaining our denominational and doctrinal distinctives while coordinating our ministry so the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. What a concept. And so there's Missions Network. Wycliffe right now, Wycliffe Bible Translators, with the help of computerization, is now starting a new translation every 14 days, accomplishing in months, in months translation tasks that used to take years. And so there's radio ministry and all these things. God's on the move. Not only that, if you're just reading some of the reports coming in from the Middle East, Jesus is appearing to people in the villages. He's showing up himself. And people are coming to Christ. And imams are coming to Christ. And so I'm sharing all this because sometimes we look around our little neighborhood and our little circle and we say, what is God doing? Is this real? Is this powerful? Yes, it is. And he's on the move. And if we say yes and begin to pray into those things and align ourselves with those things, you're going to see God on the move in your own life as well. Amen? That's some of you. Praise God. Well, how about what's he doing in his church? He's doing things in the nations, even with war and the re refugee issues and some of the stuff that seems so devastating on the news. God's leveraging those things with outreach and, and the gospel getting out. But how about in his church? And I, I truly believe this. He, he is calling his church to be equipped in this season. In Ephesians 4 here in verse 11, and he, he himself gave some to be apostles 
and prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Come on, read the yellow with me. For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and a knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Since Jesus left the earth and gave us his Holy Spirit, there's people that have operated in the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in different dimensions. But I believe in this season, God wants the whole church functioning in his power and functioning his anointing to get the job done. Amen? And so that's you and me saying yes to that and praying into that and being, being trained up in that. He goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love that we might grow up. Say grow up. Grow up. Say wake up. Wake up. Grow up. Tell your neighbor, wake up and grow up. And grow up in all things. Now you made him mad, first of the year. You got it. We'll go back and sing that song about forgiveness. That we might grow up in all things into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by what? By which every part does it share. Which every part does it share. Say that with me. Every part does it share. And when you say, what's God doing in the church? I, I believe across the world, he's, he's trying to bring his body together, that it's just not the pastor, not just the apostle, but it's the whole church working together, the musicians, the people working with kids, the creative teams, the business development teams, that the body of Christ is working together to bring a fullness and a wholeness to the church of Jesus Christ. He's not coming back for a beat up, battered, abused bride. He's coming back for a glorious church. He's coming back for a powerful church. He's coming back for a complete church, a, a, a church that he could join to himself. He's not coming back from abused, discouraged, beat up bride. If you're, that's your theology, you need to wake up and grow up. He, he's not coming back from a rapture-ready church hiding in a cave. He's coming back for a glorious church that, that wants to be used and is an equal to him, filled with the power, filled with the anointing, his equal, his helpmeet. He's coming that, back for that kind of bride. Anybody want to be part of that church? Amen. How about any dragon slayers in the house? But the people who know their God, read this with me, but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those are the people who understand shall instruct many. In context, would you read that in Daniel over a couple chapters? He's talking about end time stuff prophetically as well as historic things that had happened. He's talking about the wars and the nations rising up and the difficulties of time. But then he throws this phase in, but, but, but the people who know their God, different course. The people that know their God, different assignment. People that know their God, different result. They'll be strong and they'll do exploits. I want a church full of strong people doing exploits. How about you? Anybody else with me will pray in towards that or decide that? So look, we got some training coming up. I'm just going to throw this in here before we finish. But we got some training coming up. Usually our life groups meet on the second and fourth Wednesdays. In January, that'd be the 11th and the 25th. We're going to do life groups here, at least for the, the South County and the San Luis groups. And uh, I don't know about North County. I think they'll be fine up there. But Morro Bay, Losos, we're going to invite you to come. If you're not in a life group and want to be, we're going to run some life groups around here. You'll get to meet some of the leaders and you'll get 
to hear some of the things, how we're going to do those groups. So those two Wednesday nights, if you want to connect and be part of a life group, show up here at church. We'll do a little worship, and then we're going to get in small groups, and we're going to uh, facilitate and just kind of run the groups from the front and hopefully help launch us into some new connections. Amen? Prophetic training will be on those opposite Wednesdays. On January 18th and February 1st, Peggy Cole will be with us, and, and the Lord uses Peggy Cole prophetically. She's a powerful woman of God, and she's going to do some training and activation. We're going to be pray for people to have those gifts stirred up, because we need that to happen, amen? We got to wake up and stir up the gifts of God within us. The Agape Prayer Team training's coming up. Lee and Charmaine Picard are going to be uh, doing some more training with our altar workers, and then... Um, the Bethel group, there's a team coming from Bethel that's going to do some Sozo prayer training. And Sozo is a technique that they've been developing to help people walk through past hurts and wounds and unforgiveness, bitterness, things that have happened to all of us. There's specific training to facilitate people walking free of those things. So we're going to be training people as well as if you just know there's some stuff in your life that you, you want God to work on, that training is not January 21st and 22nd. I was wrong. It's the first two weekend in February. I think that's like Friday the 4th and the 5th, not 21st and 22nd. And then growing up spiritually, we got the Bible stool classes coming Tuesday night. Wayne and I will be teaching this time. He's going to teach the life of Christ part two. And I'm going to talk about growing up spiritually, developing an excellent spirit. And uh, so that's, that's Tuesday nights. Lots of opportunity for training to be encouraged, to be strengthened around here. Amen? So if that's you, write down the dates and come join us. What else is he doing in his church? Well, somebody say Holiness. Holiness. I never used to like that word holiness because I never could understand it. Not only could I, I had a hard time understanding it, but, but I really had a hard time like, how do I ever live this? But holiness is really yielding to the Lord. A true holiness is a yieldedness. Like we say, some people could come under like the oppression of the, whole, or the, the, the enemy. Well, when we come under the, the possession of the Holy Spirit, when we yield our lives, that's when we begin to walk in holiness. And this is out of Malachi chapter 3, and Malachi is an interesting book because it's the last book of the Old Testament before we get to the New Testament. And Malachi in chapter 3 and 4, there's some prophetic things about end times. There's again talking about wars and calamity and, and challenges in the culture. But I love this passage because God makes a promise like he does in several places in scripture that he would have a remnant people, that he would have a people that love him and a people that, that care about him. And this is covenant talk where he, he starts saying, uh, whatever the rest of them do, and they have a destiny, but my people, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. And Malachi 3 says, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And some say that's the spirit of Elijah that has come. And, and, and that spirit was on John the Baptist, a foretelling spirit. And it's been on different men throughout history and, and women. But he says, then the Lord you're seeking will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of what? The covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And he will sit like a refiner of silver, read the yellow with me, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. It's, it's a picture of God purifying his people for end time purposes. It's a picture of God saying, I'm going to take my Levites, which in the Old Testament was the tribe of priests. He, he's saying in the New Testament, now we're all priests and kings unto our God. We're called a nation of priests. He said, I'm going to purify them. 
and I'm going to sit like a refiner's fire and burn out the old stuff that they'd be available and useful for me. And then the verbiage goes on like this. I love this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him. And yellow, I love this, always thought about the honor of his name. They'll be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's saying this, there's people who feared the Lord, had an honor, respect for the Lord, reverenced, cared about what the Lord thought, cared about his plans, yielded to his kingdom purposes. Those kind of people are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of mindset when the people honor the Lord. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. They will be my people, says the Lord. Verse 17, on the day when I act in judgment, they'll be my own special treasure. I'll spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Verse 18, and then you'll again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. This remnant ideology, it's not to be exclusive, but it's an invitation from God in several places just to say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I don't know what other people are gonna do, but as for me and my house, we wanna stay faithful to the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to write a book of remembrance about people who honor my name. And there's going to be a distinction again, because sometimes I've heard it said, and I've watched it, look at these people, they're backsliders, they just carry on any old way they want, and they look like their life goes okay. And here I am serving God and raising my kid as a single mom and trying to do the right things, and I just go through tough stuff and tough stuff. Where's God in the middle of it? Anybody ever ask those questions in this place? Why do the wicked seem like they're doing fine, and me trying to serve God, uh, life is just tough? Well, Malachi says, there's a day coming when you're going to see again. Those that serve God, my hand's going to be on them. They're my treasured people. He, he says in one translation, they're the jewels of my eye, and I'm going to father them, and I'm going to take care of them. There's a day coming. Tell your neighbor, it's worth it to serve God. It's worth it to serve God. And he promised that in this, this passage, that there's going to be a distinction again for the people that love him. That's why I say, surround yourself with those on the same mission as you are there's something about it. The, the friends you're picking and the people, the tribe you're running with and the, the group you're hanging out with, to find people that are on the same mission as, as you and help encourage one another in that mission to follow the Lord, to grow in the Lord. Amen? Yeah. You all right? Yeah. All right. Well, how about in America? What, what's God doing in America? Crazy election this year, was it not? And I, I forgot to bring the article out. I was going to get in between services, but it's written by Michael Snyder, and he is, uh, writes for Charisma News. He's been writing for them a while. And, and he was talking about, in the last several years, maybe if you're on the internet and you see different things, you could see this foretelling of economic disaster. Around 2015 in June, it was close again. Some of the financial things were on the brink of just collapsing. And, and he goes on to say that as you trace this, and he was even one of the predictors, he said, it's almost like God's given a reprieve to America. America's economy has grown. Even since Trump was uh, you know, elected, America's economy has grown. There's indicators, financial indicators, that things have stabilized somewhat. And, and he goes in and he says, it's because it, the course of America over the last few decades has been to stand with Israel. There's been some bumps in our relationship, but because we've stood with Israel, he said that's what's brought the blessing that's been sustained on America. But that's in jeopardy right now. 
That thing's teetering with some of the decisions that are being made. Look at Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out from your country, from your family and your father's house to the land that I'm going to show you. So this is a few thousand years before Jesus came when God begins to intervene and reveals himself to humankind, how he operates. And he picks this guy, Abram, and he makes a covenant with him because he wants the world to know that he cuts covenant with people. He's a covenant-keeping God. And he tells him in verse two, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. He didn't say, I'm gonna pick you and your life's gonna suck. No, he said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great. And, and, and you're, you shall be a blessing. He had a plan, a, a, a vision for him. Verse three, and then he said, and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families there shall be blessed. Now, God didn't ask my opinion or your opinion. Why did he pick the Jews? He didn't ask anybody's opinion. He said, I'm gonna take this nomadic people and I'm gonna cut covenant with them and through my relationship with them, all the world's gonna understand who I am and that when I bless something, it's blessed and when they turn against me, they're gonna see what, what the fruit of turning against me is about. And so the history of the Jewish people, if you just you know, read some history and look at bank presidents, university presidents, doctors, inventors, bankers, different parts of the world, uh, the Jewish people for the size of their tribe, so to speak, have been influential in the arts and music all over the world. It's because the blessing of God's with them. And the blessing of God's remained on them. And even in their challenges when they've departed, they've gone through difficult things. They've gone through the Holocaust. They've gone through judgments. But yet there's something about this remnant that's returned and the, and the blessing of God is with them. And he said, if you bless them, I'm going to bless you. And so this is what we're running into right now. So, you know, every time over the last few uh, generations now of presidents, starting with uh, President the senior Bush, and then even in the Clintons and then George W. Bush, there's been this pressure from the international community to force Israel to give up land for peace, to try and cut a deal that would reshape Israel's ancient boundaries. And this article spells it out so clearly. And if you're interested, do a little internet research. But when the U.S. has put pressure on Israel to give up land for peace, judgments have come against the U.S., Bill Koenig did it 32 different times where when, when the government came together and the U.S. started putting pressure at the U.N. level for Israel to reshape their ancient boundaries, judgments came against us. And even so, in 1991, George W. Bush went before uh, the, the U.N. and put pressure on Israel to redraw boundaries. That's when they pushed out some of the Jewish settlements. They said there was a, a hurricane off the coast that developed into a Category 3, did a right turn, went 1,000 miles across the ocean, and hit Kenny Bunkport and messed up Bush's property in Kenny Bunkport. And, and these guys are saying, God takes this stuff seriously. If you pay attention, he's saying, my eye's on Israel, and I want to protect Israel. And do some research for yourself. Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, blossomed out of nowhere when we were pushing hard against Israel to, to break their uh, traditions, to break their ancient boundaries and give up land for peace. 
And there was a cataclysmic thing through Katrina. 32 different times they've traced national disasters to when the U.S. has forced pressure. And so far, you know, historically, we've stood with Israel. And now over the last few generations, there's been this of presidents and administrations. There's been this pressure on Israel to compromise. And so right now, from now until January 20th, it sounds like Obama's been siding with them to, to pressure on Israel to realign their ancient boundaries. I understand the Palestinian crisis. My mom had an exchange student living with her from Palestine who lost land in Gaza. I remember when I was a young kid trying to follow the history of all that. Uh, you know, there, there's both sides to the story, but when you're fighting against God, you're going to lose. You're, you're, you're going to lose. And so you need to figure out what the Father's doing and say, that's what I'm going to pray into, and that's what I'm going to line myself up with, and hopefully the leadership of our country follows the same thing. Are you all right? I know that's tough stuff in a way to handle, but it's true. And when I talk about starting a new year and praying, we need to pray into some of these things. Now, how about President Trump? How about President Trump? What about this election? Wow. You know, this is interesting. All my slides came out okay, except for this one. And I think the enemy was a little mad when, when I was going to share this. Because you, to be honest when you, with you, when Trump started to run, I thought to myself, no way, man. Th this guy is too contentious. He's too rude. He's, you know, all of that stuff. Nobody else ever thought any of that. I'm just being honest. So even in the primaries, I, ha I couldn't support him. But the farther along he went... And I started reading things and hearing things and prophetically what some people were saying, it, it was like, you know, it seemed like God's hands on him for a reason. And I'll tell you why I'm sharing this here in a minute. But this, this slide, what, what do we say about Trump? And I put, is, is his being elected a divine response to the church praying that we're asking for change? He beat the Bushes and the Clintons. He beat the Republicans and the Democrats. He beat Hollywood and the mainstream media. He beat the pollsters and the pundits. He beat the never-Trumpters and the billionaire donors. He beat Miley Cyrus and Katy Perry and Lady Gaga and Jay-Z and Beyonce and George Clooney and Matt Damon and LeBron James. He beat the forces of globalism, elitism, and political correctness. He beat CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and Barack Obama. And somehow, everybody said no way, and he came through. And I don't know anybody, any other way to explain it, but God supernaturally moved because he's got a plan. He's got a plan. And if you're a Democrat and you're for Hillary, I'm not trying to make you mad or kick sand in your face. I'm saying we have a president-elect now. What's our choice but to get behind him and pray that God would use him for whatever God God set him aside for, and let's see if we can get some things turned around and moving on the right track. Amen? So, so the interesting thing is he's going to take his first day of office at 70 years old, seven months and seven days. That's his age. 777 on his first full day of presidents. And, and Daniel answered. This is in the book of Daniel. And Daniel declares when Nebuchadnezzar, who was raised up by God as an oppressor, he was raised up by God to, to, as punishment to the Jews. When he was raised up and Daniel was asked to interpret his dream, this is what Daniel says. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Read the yellow with me. And he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes kings, and he raises up kings. And he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So when he got elected, you know, there was fear on both sides. 
Some of us from Judeo-Christian background and values with, you know, uh, religious freedom and all that, there was fear that if uh, Hillary got in, that things would change and we would lose more freedoms. On the other side, there's people that are afraid, now that Trump's here, that they're going to lose freedoms. And so fear drove both sides. But the, but the challenge we have right now, we have a president-elect and we can complain or attack or gripe or we can say, God, if you're doing this, I want to pray into this, Lord, that your potential, your future, your plan would be fulfilled through the person that you picked. See, Cyrus, in the Old Testament, and this is in the book of Isaiah, Cyrus was raised up and he was a Babylonian king. He was a Babylonian prince. He had no covenant with Israel, no covenant with God, and yet God picked Cyrus to help Israel rebuild in Jerusalem. And here in Isaiah, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've held. Isn't that amazing? God says he's held his right hand. He's led this guy that didn't even have a covenant with Israel. He was going to use him. He's going to use him to subdue nations before him and to loose the armor of kings to open before him double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I'll go before you, God promises, and make the crooked places straight. I'll break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect." Could God be raising him up just for the sake of Israel and for, for, for Jacob's sake? Could he be raising him up for that? But this is what he says. I have even called you by your name and I've named you though you have not known me. And I'm the Lord and there's no other. There's no God beside me. I'll gird you though you have not known me. And so when we think about how this thing's playing out, and we have to ask ourselves, God, are you, are you behind this? And if you're behind it, then we're going to look for your purposes as your people and we're going to pray into this. Now, I'm not saying this just as the, to blow Trump's horn and all that, because I tell you what, when he first started, like I said, I, I was not a fan. And, uh, and some of that has shifted some as he's gone on. But I just want to read you this because this is what happens when our officials get elected and they start making us mad. We begin to curse them instead of praying for them. We begin to say things against them. And I shared this several months ago when we were talking about prayer, that people that claim that they pray, they're a praying people, a praying Christian, people that claim that, only 12% were praying for our leaders, our spiritual leaders. And so we're to blame when we get the results. If, if the church isn't praying, if the church isn't behind them, we're going to take the responsibility of the outcome. And that's what I'm challenging you with some of this this morning, is that we be praying for our leaders Amen. We got quiet in this church. So Paula White was an evangelical woman. She's a church leader and she's a preacher and on TV. Some say she was accredited with leading Trump to Jesus Christ. And so Christian Post, the Christian newspaper, went and interviewed her and were asking her what she knows about Trump and his character. I want to just share with you some of this stuff. So if you're fearful and afraid that hopefully it'll... Uh, Assuage some of those things, and also that it'll help us understand who he is and that we can pray. So they asked him, Christian Post asked her, can you share a story about Mr. Trump that most people don't know that reflects his character? Paula White, I wish that everyone could have the privilege of meeting Donald Trump one-on-one. -on -one. They would find him to be so different from the caricature painted of him in the press. The Trump I know is extremely giving, charitable, and doesn't seek the credit for the numerous acts of kindness he does. 
I wish everyone could know the Trump whose children praise him and see their personal interaction as a family. I wish everyone could know the Trump who prays and asks for prayer or the Trump who came from a strong spiritual heritage or the Trump who I once watched go far out of his way to an entry-level worker who was raking a sand trap on one of his properties just to thank him, acknowledge his work, and to shake his hand. He's a good man. And there are far more stories that I could tell you. Question, why should Christians trust Mr. Trump, Paula White? She says, let me tell you a story that no one knows. Right after the gathering in the New York with the 1,000 evangelicals, Mr. Trump called me. He said, Paula, they know I'll fight for them, right? And some people embrace the idea that we have to trust him because he's better than the alternative. Well, I don't believe that's true, she says. I think we can legitimately trust him. He said that he would fight for us. He said that he would stand for us. Mr. Trump has been building relationships. This is her again. Mr. Trump has been building relationships with our Christian community for years, far before he was running for president. He attended Billy Graham's 90th birthday party. He spoke at Liberty University first many years ago. He not only called me after watching my program on Christian television, he also showed up at a rally at Madison Square Garden where Dr. David Jeremiah was ministering. He came and he sat on the front row for the entire service. He's attended many such services from the smallest of churches to the largest of crusades. I don't know how to convince someone to trust anybody in these cynical times, but it would be appropriate to ask those who joined me in meeting with him at Trump Tower on June 21st. They all left saying they trust him, and these are the leaders in the evangelical community who are admired and trusted themselves. And so I thought, well, okay, when he's running, that he's showing up at these evangelical things because he needs the white evangelical vote to win. I, I really, the cynical part of me said, yeah, he's just, he's just, you know, trying to uh, patternize us or whatever the word would be. But she's claiming no way. She said, this is genuine and it's been genuine. And so we need to pray for him. She said, I know Donald Trump. I know the strong leader is. I know how capable of a businessman he is. I know how compassionate he is. I know how smart he is. I know how he defends our values and the people who he, he loves. I know he loves, I know how much he loves this country. I know how much he loves his children and how they admire and respect him. He didn't have to run for president. He did it because because he loves America and wants our future to be bright. And he's willing to fight for that. He's willing to sacrifice for it too. Despite constant attacks in the press and the constant attempts to malign his character, countless phrases have been taken out of context and the loss of so much, he's decided it's worth it. And so if he's decided it's worth it, I believe it's worth it to pray for him. Anybody with me on that? And to pray that he will accomplish what God's brought him in to accomplish. I'm wrapping it up right here. It says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we might lead a what? A quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. To criticize, to jump on the bandwagon, to malign him, no, 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 no. To, to pray for him, to lift up those in authority, that's good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So tell your neighbor we need to pray for him and his family. Last but not least, I said I was going to wrap it up with that. One more thought. My final thought, almost. So, so wake up. What's the Lord doing in the missions? What's the Lord doing in the nation? What's he doing in his church? But what's he doing in your life? In this season, do you, do you know what season it is for you? 
Do you know what season that you're, you're supposed to be pursuing right now or, or, or the, the things you're supposed to be doing? And that's why when we're going into 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I just encourage you to pick some kind of a fast, a, a Daniel fast. You know, when Daniel fasted, it was treats and pleasantries, so he cut out meat and sweets, and some people do that for 21 days. Some people will take three days and just do juice and water and then maybe give up desserts or, or give up something. that it, It's not about so much what you sacrifice. I, I believe fasting is this. You fast the flesh, you put down the flesh, but you feast on God. That, that's how you jumpstart a new season in your life. You, you put down the flesh, but you feast on God and build yourself up in God so you can hear and know and discern and wake up so you understand what your call is and what you're supposed to be doing in the season, amen? And, and, and where you're supposed to be involved and, and how God wants to use you. And maybe in here and maybe beyond. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's helping a neighbor. Maybe it's just some of the simple things God's gonna instruct you to, but through prayer, we understand this. Here, here's the promises. When, when we look up, like, be awake and be alert, it's usually in the context of prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 40, and he, Jesus, came to the disciples, found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, where are you? Amen. Can you watch one hour? I will. Okay, good man. Could you watch him the one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. Read the last line with me. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many have ever experienced that a little bit? Spirit's willing, flesh is weak. That's why we got to pray. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Come on, the yellow with me. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Romans 1, 9, 10. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Read the yellow. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at least succeed in coming to you. So he's saying, I'm praying for you and I want to see you and, and I'm connected to you. Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Amen.